talking about citta bhavana, we're referring to the cultivation of the jitta. And the heart of that practice is the development of eka kata jitta, the one-pointed mind. This we achieve through the development of mindfulness, sustained mindfulness practice, usually directed to a single object as a way of training the mind. And as we cultivate mindfulness, uh, together with clear comprehension, we experience over time gradually the mind unifying, coming together until it reaches a state of one-pointed awareness, a sense of just pure knowing where mindfulness is sustained from moment to moment. This is what we call samadhi, where the mind is firm, stable, unified. Whether it's for short periods that the mind unifies, as in kanika samadhi, or for longer periods, upajara samadhi, or complete unification, absorption, one-pointedness, in apana samadhi. The experience of the cultivated mind or mind cultivated in this way is this sense of unification, sustained mindfulness and dropping away of all the five hindrances. The biggest obstacle in the long run to the achievement of this is Gama chanta niwarana, and the hindrance of sensual desire, sensuality. It's essential for us to keep studying, learning, practicing to deal with sensual desire as we live in the monastery and train in this way of practice because it will be a big stumbling block to the experience of this unification, one-pointedness of mind. And as long as we don't experience much one-pointedness of mind, then it's difficult to view reality in a detached way 
experience that sense of separation between the mind that knows experience and the experience of phenomena, physical phenomena, mental phenomena, body and mind, ourselves, the world and so on. The practice of Dhamma requires us to develop this sense of one-pointedness, experience of one-pointedness. However deep, long-lasting it may be, we, we are aiming to do that. So to keep studying, learning and dealing with sensual desire is essential because it's the ultimate stumbling block preventing the mind from unification. On paper we talk about sense desires, the desire for sights, sounds, taste, smell, touch and then internally the ideas, concepts and memories based on the external sense objects that we've previously encountered, remembering them, thinking of them. In practice, where most teachers say this really comes, what it really comes down to is uh, sexual desire, sensual desire arising out of sexual desire. The desire for the pleasure that comes from sex and the objects that bring us that pleasure. So usually the opposite sex, thinking about them in different ways, visually, conceptually, and the stimulation, the attraction that comes from that major stumbling block to the unification of the mind and to the deepening of our wisdom, insight into the true nature of phenomena, seeing all physical mental phenomena as anicca, dukkha, anatta, seeing that which is subject to arising, subject to cessation ultimately reaching that, the point where one experiences that which isn't born, the undying, the undying of the pure, free, liberated mind. But sensual desire and sexual desire huge stumbling block, obstacle to reaching just one-pointedness and then developing the insight from that. Meditating in the forest, we'll all understand this point. From time to time, we'll have internal memories, fantasies come up to bother us, destabilize the mind, distract us. And from time to time, we'll see, recognize the sensual desires. The mind goes out looking for further stimulation being drawn to images of women, say, in uh, 
either in person, seeing people, looking to see people, look at people, or in magazines, newspapers, adverts, TV, movies, whatever. And it's vital if we want to pursue the way of practice that the Buddha, Ajahn Man, Ajahn Chah, our teachers have all previously followed and succeeded with in pacifying their defilements, seeing the Dhamma. If we want to follow that path, we have to learn how to deal with this and face up to it and practice with it and repeatedly because it's not a defilement that goes away easily. The number one strategy for dealing with sensual desire, sexual desire is a super gamatana, one of those practices we have to develop regularly as a renunciant, living a celibate life. We have to learn how to skillfully turn the mind away from the attractiveness of uh, this body, our own body and the female form and its tendency towards obsession with the attractiveness and the indulgence in that turn the mind away skillfully to see the opposite, the unattractive side, or even the repulsive or disgusting side of the human body. And being such a deeply ingrained defilement, it takes time, energy, effort, it has to be approached with wisdom so as not to either overdo it and make oneself miserable or go to extremes of aversion, depression, sadness and so on. And one can't ignore it either. Just keeping precepts ultimately is not enough to transcend this hindrance, this block to samadhi. One has to develop a different perception of the human body to balance up the habit of always looking for the attractive we have to balance it up by noticing noting putting attention wise attention on the unattractive but in a balanced and wise way this is the number one way of dealing with Gama Chanta Nivarana, sensual craving. And every day we have the opportunity to observe our own bodies, the repulsive side of our own body. How we put clothes on and those clothes quickly become dirty through the grease and other liquids and things that come out of this body. Our clothes get dirty, our hair gets greasy, the body itself starts to smell, everything that comes into contact with the body 
starts to smell due to that which comes out of this body. You know, our bed clothes, our clothes, all the requisites that we use from day to day. We need to keep cleaning. In the body we need to keep cleaning. We go to the toilet every day, many times a day. We have to blow our nose, clean our ears. Even when we get injuries, it's a chance to observe the asupa, the unattractive side of the body, seeing the various liquids that come out with an injury, blood, lymph, plasma and so on, and the scabs and scars that form. We can work with ourselves first every day, contemplating the unattractiveness of the body, externally and then internally, using the creative side of the mind, imagining, visualizing internally the organs. We can take opportunities to observe maybe dead animals in the forest, the bones left of dead animals. Look at anatomy books, or if we're lucky, go to the hospital, observe an autopsy. <coughs> this is all balancing the mind up, bringing up the perception of the unattractiveness of this body. And as we get more skilled at this, to direct this to those images that we hold in our mind of the female form, or even if one is skilled enough when one is observing a female form to bring up that perception. Practice regularly in this way, with wisdom and in a balanced way. This is what helps to neutralize the power and the obstructive force of Gama Chanda Nivarana over and over again, returning to the asupasanya, so that mind is quietened, and then at those times when maybe the mind is peaceful, in meditation, coming towards one-pointedness, any temptation that the mind, the kilesas in the mind throw up, visual images, memories and so on, can quickly be countered through the contemplation of the asupa gamatana if we don't do this then however peaceful the mind gets it's always pray to memories and fantasies just take away the concentration and the mindfulness maybe at the very last moment an old memory can pop up literally just pop up in the mind take away one's concentration or one can have a peaceful state come out, just see one female form perhaps, or hear a voice, or smell some perfume or something, and in a way the mind is lost and distracted by that. This is how it happens. This is how one loses one-pointedness or is prevented from entering one-pointedness.
the second strategy for dealing with Gamachanda, very similar, very close, is actually to systematically learn how to contemplate the 32 parts of the body one by one going down from the hair of the head hair of the body, nails, teeth, skin flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow and so on one by one become skilled in placing attention on each body part getting to know it, visualize it and one can also think about it especially in the beginning stages of this meditation Think about that body part, what it looks like, where it is, what its nature is, how it's created, where it comes from, what happens to it over time, how it changes, how it ends up, you know, how we die, the changes that happen to the body part through old age, sickness, death. Contemplate them on a dead body, the 32 parts of a dead person, what are they like? over time as they change as the body decomposes degenerates how do they change the way they look the way they smell their different attributes the color for each part one can train oneself to do this gradually moving the mind beyond doubt about the physical body the way it is again bringing up the asupasanya, the perception of the unattractiveness or the loathsomeness of the human body nobody likes a corpse nobody wants to touch a corpse smell a corpse be near a corpse they bring up fear aversion, revulsion sadness, many reactions but they're all reactions of not wanting, not liking learning to see the corpse in, in our cells going through the 32 parts seeing how they break down as a corpse into the four elements return to the earth the air fire just the heat element goes up into the air the heat is lost from the body the water element evaporates or oozes into the ground disappears till eventually there's nothing left emptiness practice regularly frequently both these aspects say the what we call the patigula, the repulsive aspect of the body, and then the asupasanya, help us to combat the tendency and the temptation of gamachanta, the tendency to always look for the attractive, seek the attractive, and get beguiled, hoodwinked, tricked by the attractive, whether it's the entire vision of the body or just parts of the body sometimes there's parts of the body we particularly like the skin, the hair and so on 
can learn to counter that infatuation by bringing up the perception of the ultimate changing nature and unattractiveness of each body part. Coupled with this, we also have to practice sense restraint, indriya sangura, very much the practical side of daily mindfulness practice. You're learning to bring composure and restraint to our eyes and the use of our eyes. If you keep looking for attractive objects with the eyes, then of course you'll, you'll keep feeding this kalesa. And you can see over time how subtle it can be, even just the attractiveness, say, of cloth, the color of cloth. Say if one's had an old girlfriend who wore a certain color kind of clothing and just seeing that color can bring up memory of that person. The texture of cloth at first might not seem to be bringing up Garmachanda, but it can. Sense restraint, mindfulness around seeing things, say cloth or smells. And so on. The Buddha's teaching to Ananda before he died, or when, when you have to deal with women, said if best don't see them, don't look at them, don't have to see them, don't get involved with them. If you have to see them, well don't talk to them. Don't bring up a cause to become further entwined with them. Just keep your distance, don't talk to them, don't get involved with them. If you have to talk to them, we'll keep it brief. A few sentences and just be very mindful. If we want to cut off the roots of Gama Chanda Nivarana, we have to practice this sense restraint with the opposite sex. Don't see them, that means not, not looking for instances to look at for them, whether it's in people who come to the monastery or out on the street, in magazines, on TV screens, computers, wherever. Learning how to restrain the eyes and the tendency to look and seek for the attractive. Learning to look down or look to the side if confronted by particularly attractive women. Look away. Over time this is what helps to undermine this, the power of this hindrance. You're not feeding it. If one does the opposite, one is unrestrained with the senses. One looks for nice smells, nice sights, satisfying that urge. Well, of course, when one meditates, it will come up. The images, that, the impressions that one has received during one's day as one meditates, they will come up again to haunt one. The sounds of voices, the smells, the sights, and so on.
another area we have to practice that is linked very closely to this is bhojane matanyuta, moderation in eating. There's the link between how much we eat and what we eat and the state of the body and then the state of the mind is there. You will notice when we're unrestrained in our eating, eating exactly what we want, when we want, in the amounts we want, tends to feed Gamachanta. The link may not be immediately obvious, but over time practicing you start to see the, the sort of the weakness around food will carry over to weakness around the attractiveness of sensual desire in all other areas of our life and particularly sexual desire. Generally eating a lot of rich food in large amounts feeds Karmachanda. Bodily energy increases and then from that mental states arise, tend to be stimulating the mental state, seeking the, the pleasures that come with this body, the pleasurable feelings and the objects that bring that, that pleasure. And just developing that self-discipline and the restraint around food, it's the same kind of quality, like just similar to restraint with the eye saying, seeking attractive form sites and then ultimately the tendency to fantasize and visualize internally as one meditates one's using the same sense of restraint moderation limiting karmachanta every day we eat food so every day we have an opportunity to practice and undermine Gamachanda, but also we have the temptation and the opportunity to just follow temptation and be heedless. So it's, that's why it's very much a, an essential practice of the renunciant learning moderation in eating. Because it's something we have to face over and over again. We may be able to fast temporarily to avoid the problem but ultimately we have to learn how to eat skillfully, mindfully, with moderation and sense restraint. Again, bringing up the reflection of Patigula Sanya, Ahare Patigula Sanya. Lumpocha suggested the practice of actually spitting out the first mouthful of food you eat into your hand and looking at the chewed mouthful of food mixed with spittle no longer attractive and then just putting it in your spittoon as a way to, to again bring up the patigula sanya the perception of the unattractiveness of food the other side of the story contemplating the chewing process the swallowing process if you can pull out the esophagus, not a pretty sight. Just lots of fleshy tube, moisture, saliva, mucus. 
doesn't look very nice. And then go, the food goes down into the stomach. Also, you could see a human stomach, not very nice. If you ever see an autopsy, they often they cut open the stomach and you actually see the food, the last meal that that person ate. And you can still see parts of the undigested food. You can recognize different kinds of food in the stomach. But the whole picture is repulsive and smelly. The result of these kind of contemplations is to turn the mind away from its tendency to indulge in the attractiveness of food and the body. Another very useful strategy that the Buddha recommended is associating with the wise, noble beings, people with sila, with samadhi, with panya, good examples, people who talk about the values of renunciation, people who encourage us to be modest in our use of the requisites, moderation in eating, people who encourage us to be restrained in the use of the senses with our eyes, ears, nose, tongue. people who talk about the danger of the hindrances, the suffering that comes from the hindrances, talk about the benefits of samadhi, the benefits of insight, and so on. Association with the wise keeps providing these skillful inputs, wholesome inputs in our practice. That can be association with teachers and other practitioners reading good Dhamma books about the practice, reading the suttas, listening to Dhamma talks on tapes. This is all associating with the wise. And internally associating with the wise in wise reflection, you know, Yoniso Manasikara. Learning how to turn one's mind away from the unwholesome kilesa-rooted thinking be wise enough to catch the habit of, say, different kinds of sexual fantasies and sensual desire arising in the mind. The imagination, visual, visual imagination, conceptual imagination, learning how to turn away from that and bring up wisdom, wise reflection. This is associating with the wise internally. And the last strategy for dealing with this Gama Chanda Nivarana is right practice, Sama Patipata. Training in the Dry Sikha, the Sila Sikha, Samadhi Sikha, Panya Sikha, the whole, all aspects of the practice, keeping the precepts, developing mindfulness and meditating and contemplating truth on a regular basis. All these six factors working together are what bring one the strength of mind, the, the composure, the restraint, the mindfulness and the strength of mind
and the ultimately the insight to overcome and transcend Gama Chanda Nivarana. The cumulative result of practicing these six things is that the mind gradually wearies and tires of its tendency towards attraction and obsession with the objects of its attraction. Obsession with the opposite sex, obsession with food, obsession with comfort in different forms. The mind wearies of this, tires of this, and seeks the higher, more refined piece of samadhi, one-pointedness, free from distraction, free from the pull of sensuality. And obviously that isn't a one, one-off experience. This is a gradual development of this insight and with it the, the weariness, the tiredness of a attachment to sensuality. Might take many years or a whole lifetime or even many lifetimes. But if one is interested in jitta bhavana and experiencing the, the peace, the fruits of the developed human mind, then this is the way we have to train and practice. And if one has any experience of the one-pointed states of mind, even just kanika samadhi, just temporarily the mind unifies and drops everything and seems free, liberated, at least temporarily, it gives one the taste of this sense of freedom from sensuality. Doesn't matter anymore. That gives one the insight, the understanding to keep training in the same direction. It gives one a goal and a direction to follow. So all these six areas, six different strategies, one has to keep developing because one never knows when the next temptation or different object might come up, whether from one's past, just memories and thoughts, or in the flesh one actually meets, say, particularly attractive people that one's attracted to and can't get out of the mind. One just never never knows what's around the corner. So one has to be practicing already. Not, it's too late if one's already caught into lust or attraction and one thinks, oh, now I have to do my super practice. One has to be practicing already. These are what we call the araka gamatana, the practices that one preserves or upholds regularly all the time. Another word for araka is bodyguard. You say somebody who's like your bodyguard. So this practice is like your mental bodyguard against the power of lust and the overwhelming force of lust. And sometimes they talk about it just as how quickly one can turn to the asupasanya when confronted with a lustful object, whether internally or externally. How quick can one change the mind from its attraction, recognize the attraction and change that back to one of 
a supra and bring the back, mind back to a state of normality. As I said, one practices this in a balanced, wise way. One is not turning the mind to a state of misery or aversion where one is just averse to attraction or the objects of attraction. That would be another imbalance. The aim is to bring the mind to normality where one can see the super of different objects, the beautiful side, the attractive side. One can match that with the asupa, neutralize it and bring the mind to a state of normality where it's aware of the anicca dukkha anatta of phenomena. But nevertheless, in the course of the practice, one is bound to experience some of the difficulty of this tricky practice and one might tend to go towards the extreme of aversion or misery sometimes. When one is working hard with kalesa, it can be quite tiring, frustrating and also turn towards aversion for the, the thing that is disturbing you. If you are trying to experience one-pointedness and some memory or some object, some visual object, whatever, keeps tripping you up, stopping you, then you can get frustrated or just start to hate that object or hate yourself for falling for that object. So one has to develop some com true compassion for oneself and for the objects of one's lust and so on, so that one doesn't go into an imbalanced state of aversion. Nevertheless, to experience one-pointedness, we have to do this, keep practicing. So I'll leave these reflections with you tonight.